Welcome to Higher State of Being, our bi-monthly podcast about how you can live your best life. I'm Kat Cogren. And I'm Teddy Rocklin, certified clinical hypnotherapist and registered psychotherapist. Together, we're going to explore topics that we all care about, like how to improve sleep, how to reduce anxiety, and how to have healthier relationships. We will be inviting expert guests to share their professional knowledge on each of these fascinating topics and so much more. At the end of each episode, we'll post a guided meditation so that you can reinforce the techniques and strategies that we've discussed. Each podcast, together with the associated guided meditation, will help you live your life more fully and reach a higher state of being. Welcome to Higher State of Being. Really excited to be here with you all today. I'm Kat Cogren, and we're here to explore topics that we all care about. Things like how to improve your sleep, reduce anxiety, have healthier relationships. And today I am very excited to talk about this subject, calming your inner saboteur. It's just, I'm very fascinated by this. Teddy, how are you today? I'm really well, Kat. I'm excited about doing this too, because sabotage is one of the biggest things I end up talking about with my clients. So I'm really excited Sarah's here as our expert. I know. Sabotage is one of those things that you just, it's insidious sometimes. You don't even know you're doing it to yourself, yet there it there it goes. Well, without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Sarah Avant-Stover. Sarah is a best-selling author and she's she's quite fascinating. We had a great early um, conversation with her. Sarah, how are you today? I'm doing well. Real quick, Sarah, give us a little bit of your background. Sure. I am a teacher of feminine spirituality, and I've been doing this work for the past two decades. And it has really grown out of my own healing journey and my own inquiry into what it means to be a happy, healthy, whole, empowered woman in the world today. So I teach online programs and also in-person retreats and trainings around the world. And how long have you been doing this work, Sarah? 20 years. Wow, amazing. So Teddy, you introduced us to Sarah, brought her onto the podcast. And we're, we're specifically, when we were setting up our podcast stories, we're like, self-sabotage we really need to address this and talk about it and why why are we going to discuss this teddy well first i want to say a little bit about how i came to know sarah um we had talked about doing a, a podcast on sabotage and what i suggested is why don't we make this one a little lighthearted? why don't we make it kind of fun i'll get in touch with some of my improvisational comedy friends and we'll just talk about some of the silly self-sabotages that we've done kind of lighten it up and as i was kind of mulling around this possibility waiting for some people to get back to me i was introduced to sarah through a mutual acquaintance and realized that uh, with her expertise and background uh, this would be really valuable i actually have retained the services sarah to figure out what my next steps are going to be i've had some things i've been thinking about doing for a long time and no matter how educated you are or how expert you are in the field of helping people we all have our ways. We all have our ways of self-sabotaging. So I felt like I manifested Sarah into my life to help me work through some of my own blocks. I'm very, very impressed with the work that we're doing. And apparently my 
Hang-ups are not the slightest bit uncommon. <laughs> so it's really, uh, it's nice to have you here, Sarah, to talk about what are some of the more common themes that people have, the excuses they give themselves for not doing what they know would be in their highest good. I'm excited to see where we go with this today. Yeah, and thank you for having me. And the only reason why I can speak to these things is because I I have worked with them very deeply and I continue to. So sab sabotage, according to uh, archetypal theory, um, at least some of the archetypal theories, theorists that I've um, worked with, there are four basic archetypes that everybody has. Everybody has an inner child. Everybody has an inner prostitute. That's our way of determining what we value more and what we value less. Um, everybody has an inner victim. We all know that experience and everyone has an inner saboteur. So this is a universally common theme. Everybody does this at some point. Being able to recognize when you're doing that, when you're coming out of your voice of your saboteur, what is that voice trying to protect you from? What is it trying to direct you toward? And how can we, rather than um, diminish that voice, how can we listen more closely and figure out how to use this to our, to our best good, to our higher state of being? So it's not necessarily a bad voice that you're hearing, the inner saboteur, it is part of your archetypes. So listening to it, let's expand on that a little bit farther. You know, most people think, oh, I gotta stop. I gotta stop self-sabotaging, self right? This is not good. But I'm hearing a different idea here from you ladies. Yeah, and I, while I work with archetypes, the model that I use for working with these inner selves comes from uh, a school of psychotherapy called Internal Family Systems, or IFS, uh, founded by Dick Schwartz. And it's really, it's that the same concept that we have a multiplicity of selves. Like we have an inner family of selves. And we have lots of inner children. Uh, some of them are locked in the past in traumatized moments where they didn't have the support that they needed to continue to develop. And we also have these lost selves from different times in our lives. If, if we had traumatic periods, again, where we didn't have the support that we needed. And those parts are called exiles. And they're incredibly vulnerable. And what our system does is creates these defensive structures for these very vulnerable parts. And those defensive structures are either managers, which can be like a really great planner or a perfectionist, or it can even be just like a really um, developed businesswoman. You know, they, it can be parts of ourselves that are that are good, but that are maybe at times a little bit excessive in terms of their, their managing because they're, they're diligently protecting these parts. And then there's the firefighters where something gets triggered and it's very confronting for the system and a part of us needs to go and put out the fire as quickly as possible. And that can be like the smoker, the drinker, the binger, the purger, the, the shopper, um, just what, what do we do to kind of push the easy button when we're feeling suffering? And so I feel that our, our saboteurs are these exiled selves 
who, or even the managers or the firefighters, anything that's not coming from our highest self with a capital S, who is supposed to be the queen or king of the inner landscape, that any of those can hijack our system and sabotage us from what we, what our highest self wants us to do. So sometimes even if you feel like, oh, I'm getting so much done, I'm working so hard, and it's moving you towards something, it's not necessarily actually following what is in the best interest of your higher self. You're just managing the system. Your manager is at work and just getting stuff done, checking off the lists. Am I following that right? Yeah, because that that kind of workaholism, which is very prized in our culture, it could be suppressing grief, it could be suppressing anger, it could be suppressing loneliness, it could be suppressing your sensuality or your desire to have more love in your life, more friendship, more community, and uh, just, again, hijacking the system towards one trajectory that all parts of you haven't come into agreement with. So just like in a physical household where you want everyone to be in accord of this is how we're gonna live, this is what we're gonna do, these are kind of the rules of the house, this is what we value. We wanna have that same kind of inner harmony and inner negotiation in our inner worlds. And when we don't have that, that's where sabotage comes in. So the sabotage is when we get out of balance, we're leaning toward one uh, identity or way of expressing to the negligence of the others? Yeah, where one part of us sort of hijacks the system and asserts their agenda without the approval of everyone else. I love that you use the example of somebody who is really high powered. You didn't use the phrase, but type A, someone who, who works really hard and fulfills the expectations of the society around them, because I think most of us would think that's the person who isn't sabotaging when in fact I work with people frequently on this particular issue they have a very hard time finding balance they don't know how to play or they don't sleep very well and they feel like they have to have as many productive hours as possible in the course of a day and they wonder why they don't feel fulfilled their schedules full why don't they feel fulfilled I think that's a really valuable insight and perspective yeah because it's like what what will bring harmony and balance to the whole system so when we th talk about self-sabotage, what are some of the top problems? I mean, some identifiers that our listeners can say, oh, yeah, workaholic, all these things, but kind of give us some more of the top problems that, that you both see. We'll start with you, Sarah, um, in working with this subject. Well, definitely workaholism because that numbs us to these more exiled um, kind of air quotes, challenging emotions, which are really important for us to feel and metabolize, especially in a time like this and the pandemic. And also the inner critic is one of the big uh, managers. And when your inner critic is active and telling you, you know, you suck, you're not good enough, no one wants to hear what you have to say, you're an imposter, that is a signal that your inner child is being activated. And our inner child is our gold. Our inner child is our creativity, uh, our playfulness, 
and really holds the key to our divine expression in the world, what, what we're here to embody, what we're here to activate. And so you know that, that you're getting closer to her or him when your inner critic gets louder. And the more you have on the line, the, the louder that inner critic is going to be. So you need to make sure that you have skills to work with that, to do these inner negotiations. And if you don't yourself, when you get into kind of hairy situations, you, you need to have someone to help mediate the, that conversation. And there's nothing wrong with that. We Just like if you have a challenging situation at home, sometimes you need to invite in a third party to help mediate that conversation because it's just really heated. Right. So, and you also wanna be able to get upstream of it so that it doesn't hijack your system too much and then bring in the firefighters and make you start chain smoking or drinking too much or whatever it is that you do to numb that incessant um, criticism and vulnerability that it's trying to squash. So when you say, I'm gonna just point out one thing here and we'll, ask, we'll go to Teddy. When you say get upstream of it, what does that precisely mean? You wanna you want start to notice the subtle cues that it's being triggered. Gotcha. So that way you can catch it before it gets too strong. Just like if, when you're catching a cold, if you start to notice like, oh, I'm getting a little tickle in my throat, maybe you want to start taking more vitamin C then. Right. Than when you're just- When it's too late. Yeah. When it's too late and it's already full blown. One other thing I want to say about the inner critic is that it develops when we're very young. So it develops even like before the age of five to protect the parts of ourselves that our caretakers and our society have taught us are unacceptable, either because they're too dark or they're too expressive. Mm -hmm. Anything that's out of this like, this like mid kind of um, acceptable range of expression. And it takes on the verbiage of our caretakers, the media, uh, religion, education. So the things that the inner critic is telling us, it's just, it becomes an internalized voice of all those external voices. Right, who were authorities at some point in your life. So of course yeah. that's gonna have a very authoritative mm -hmm. feel to it in your, in your subconscious. Teddy, tell us a little bit about where you see this manifesting and some of the top problems that, that come up when you're working with your clients. Mm. I actually would like to answer that question with a, a personal example, if that would be all right. Um, so when Sarah and I were talking, initially what I had shared with her was about 11 or 12 years ago, I got a really strong hit that I need to Put the message out to a broader audience. It was going to be write a book. It was going to be do some some blogging, blogging something. I just I need to put the message out because I do find with my clientele, I'm frequently repeating the same things over and over and over again because these are common human experiences. Everyone thinks not everyone, but it's very normal to feel like nobody else deals with this. Nobody else has imposter syndrome. Nobody else you know devalues themselves. In my own personal example, I got this strong hit to put the message out to a broader audience. So I'm affecting 10, 100, 1,000, however many people instead of one at a time. Um, 
my mind immediately went to, which I had never thought to call the manager, my mind immediately went to, well, no one's going to take me seriously. I don't have a PhD. No one's going to take, never mind the 17 years of experience and being a very astute, aware, attentive person who listens really carefully and does really good work. No one's going to take me seriously because I don't have a PhD. So I spent the next several years researching PhD programs and sabotaging myself that way. I, I can't go get my PhD. Now I'm raising my daughter. I can't, I can't take the time. My clientele box is too full. Um, finally got past that, oh, but first, oh, but first with the PhD and replaced that with this inner critic that Sarah was talking about, which was that old child voice of nobody wants to hear it. I was Teddy the Chatterbox. We did a lot of playing the silent game when I was a child. I was very expressive and people needed a break. So I learned at a very young age, stop talking, nobody wants to hear it, just smile and sit there and, and be a good girl, don't say anything, nobody wants to hear it. So that inner critic, whenever I would start to share with multiple numbers of people, the inner critic was so loudly screaming in my head as I was talking into a microphone. Teddy, stop talking. Nobody wants to hear it. Who do you think you are? You, and it was very sabotaging. And it wasn't until I saw a, a talk with Tina Fey, Tina Fey of all people, talking about her experience with self-sabotage and her um, uh, imposter syndrome, this, this idea of I'm a fraud. I'm, I'm just going to have to sit here and wait until they figure out I'm a fraud and then I'll be right. humiliated. That I realized not only is this common, but I'm in the ranks of Tina Fey by having this way of self-sabotaging, and I think she's fabulous. So um, recognizing just how normal these self-sabotaging behaviors are, the, oh, but first I have to, or, oh, but nobody's going to be interested, or um, I couldn't possibly do that until I lose 15 pounds. No one wants to hear my voice until I lose 15 pounds. Like that matters. Um, I've, whatever the excuses are that we put out to give ourselves permission to play small. And if what you want is a small, simple life that you don't need to have some big impact, that is a wonderful, beautiful way to go about life. If that is the choice that you've made, if it's hiding or playing small or being fear-based, you might want to have a good look at these aspects of yourself that Sarah was talking about with the uh, IFS, I think you called it, um, and, and just kind of start to explore is it is who is it serving for me to play small or is it better for me to recognize that in fact i do have value and something to share and bring it out to the public so what i see in my regular client base this comes up on a daily basis as i said this is a standard behavior um so people talking about the imposter syndrome people talking about the um I wish that I could, but I don't have time. I wish that I could, but I don't have energy. I wish that I could, but I have to lose weight first. I wish that I could, but I don't have money. It's a very lack consciousness. And I don't think most of us lack as much as we like to pretend with our obstacles that we that we have. Yes, a lot of the obstacles are, are just obstacles we have in our minds. And I, mm -hmm. it's like, I want to, but why do we... Mm -hmm. Why do we say that to ourselves so many times? I mean, I'm, I've said it probably five times today, but I went to this, but I got to do that first, you know, whatever it is. Sarah, why do we have that dialogue with ourselves? Why is this such a common human experience that we have? I think it's because we're, we're afraid of our own greatness. And we also live in a society that doesn't really encourage our greatness 
I mean, that, that it's obsessed with fame mm-hmm. and celebrityhood, but not with, with each person just expressing their unique greatness in the way that they were born to. Just like an acorn is meant to become an oak tree. Each of us is meant to, to become something. And there's an intrinsic guidance leading us towards that. But all of these, these messages that we get um, suppress that. And so it is an inner journey. It is, wor- it is work of reparenting ourselves, of unblocking ourselves, of really getting honest about what do I, what do I want? What, not just what do I want, what do I really, really want? And that's not a question that you can just ask yourself and know the answer immediately. That, that's a question that, that, that we meditate on, that we journal about, that we walk with, that we go to sleep asking ourselves, that, that we really like let drop deep into our hearts and our bellies. And each day, just try to answer that for ourselves. And then that's that, because that is our highest self. And so then do the inner work of, of getting our parts to, to align around that. So when we are in a situation where we, we do know what we want, or at least we, we have a, this is what I want right now. And I think what we want and evolves over time, obviously, but I, I want this and I'm consciously and subconsciously working on going towards that. And, you know, Teddy, we can use this podcast as an example. It took us months to actually get to where we are today to having listeners out there all over the world listening to this. And there was all these things, right? And then all of a sudden the universe went, bam, now you got time and space to do it. How how much of that is self-sabotage? How much of that is just right timing? Where does that fit in when you really know what you want and you're trying to get there, but it seems like everything's working against you? Well, we always know. And I mean, I know in my life when I know what I want and I'm trying to make it happen, my deep, deeper self, my deepest truth knows it's not the right time if there's a lot of obstacles. But I'm just, a part of me is resisting that and not wanting to be patient. Right. And not wanting to use that time to develop my character or other more inner aspects that aren't gonna be moving forward in a way that is perceivable by others, but it's still, you know, yin time, this inner time is still a very active time. Uh, so it, it's it's about deep self-honesty. So what is your favorite self-sabotage story? Something, and Teddy, I'll, I'll give it to you. I mean, something you heard, don't, no, no real names or anything like that, but something that is just like, oh my gosh, you gotta stop doing that right now. Give us an example of that story. Oh, you know what? I I would love to pass the mic over to one or both of you for one, because the one that comes to mind for me was very, very recent. I do have permission to share this, but it's only a couple of sentences long. Um, lovely young woman. I like her very, very much. And uh, she came to me, of all things, for smoking cessation. I mean, this is a fairly cut and dry thing for most people. Um, but smoking in and of itself is a form of self-sabotage. We know that it's self-destructive. and People who do it tend to do it anyway. We all sabotage in some way. But she came to me for, for smoking cessation. And um, 
boy was dragging her feet the whole time, just full of excuses. And here's, here's what we're going to go for by next week and try to employ these exercises. And boy, every single week there was sabotage. Now, I'd like you to keep in mind, this was in February of this year. We had agreed that we're going to have four sessions and then we'll reevaluate and see how this is going, which was surprising to me because normally there's not a let's go four times and see how it goes. Normally there's a, hey, cool, we can usually nail this in one or two, maybe three. So she wanted to meet for four times. So we're meeting for the fourth time. And uh, she said to me, you know what? I really think this is going really well. I'm so excited about this. I think that I am kind of reasonable in my, what was her goal? She said, I want to stop smoking by New Year's. It was February. And she wanted to, at this point, she was down to six cigarettes a day. And I thought, wow, giving yourself that much time is pretty much guaranteeing that you're going to give yourself this roller coaster ride until you, oh my God, I can't believe I succeeded at this, or ha ah, ha remarkably fail at it again. So I just thought that was such an interesting approach to be investing the time and the money and the effort to not plan on even really thinking about being successful for the next eight months. So that's the uh, first example off the top of my head. But one of you might have one also. Sarah, how about you? I'll save mine for last. So <laughs> I have a lot, but I think one of um, a big one, you know, through my 20s and 30s, I just kept attracting or being drawn to bad boys in relationship, even though I wanted to get married and have a family. And so that was that kind of rush, that thrill. I mean, that's kind of like a drug in and of itself. Being with that kind of man uh, was sabotaging the deeper part of me that really wanted something uh, more of like a, a lasting, truer, deeper love. And, and why? Why did that firefighter come out for that thrill when your higher self really wanted that, knew what you wanted? Rooted in childhood stuff. Mm -hmm. with inner child who that was that was the imprint that I had um, from a young age and she was just following that kind of unconscious program and needed some reparenting yeah well you stole my inner sabotage story so I you got you got the common one is it <laughs> Very similar. I'm still, I finally have decided it's not uh, self-sabotage. It's, there is a higher lesson that I'm here to learn about attracting the, uh, the bad boys. That's just, it is, it is, uh, you know, so something I'm meant to learn from, I guess, or maybe mm -hmm. enjoy. I guess I could look at it that way as well. Mm -hmm. um, no, I mean, Self-sabotage is one of those things that it's it's insidious, like we discussed. We sometimes don't even know it's happening. In fact, the most recent for me was, um, you know, this whole COVID-19 thing has caused great havoc in the company that I used to work for. And it started with a round of furloughs, and that meant my whole team got furloughed except for me. And that inner critic hit me. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is I couldn't protect them. What are you doing here? They're without my team, I'm nothing, you know, they're the ones that do all the work. I just make sure they have everything they need to get stuff done. And, and I just was like, all right, firefighter come out tonight. We're getting drunk. And that ended up in a big fight. And, you know, it was just, I saw it coming. You're talking about being upstream. And that's why I wanted to clarify that 
I saw it coming. I knew. I even told my partner, I said, yeah, I'm getting wasted tonight. Um, and, you know, we both looked at each other and like, yeah, we'll be fighting by the time the evening's over. So because <laughs> I brought out his trigger and his firefighter came out and that's, you know, we knew it every step of the way. So I consciously went into this and I'm like, why? Why? I mean, now looking back, it's like never going to do that again. Right. <laughs> but it's just was one of those very interesting moments of, I mean, okay, I'm premeditating this self-sabotage from start to finish and there it is. And hopefully I won't ever do it again. You know, it's hopefully I've, you know, consciously, I think sometimes when you can consciously internalize something, it does make you go, right, let's not do that again. Let's really not ever do that again. But I would open it up to you guys. I'm get a little session here, right, on our podcast. What, <laughs> what the heck was that? Why did I do that with such consciousness? Well, because it's a familiar pattern. And I just want to say that, you know, you're very human for having that and we all have that in our own ways and it's a familiar pattern of just coping with the stressors of life that that you know and that's been running in your system since you were a very young age you know at a young age you probably didn't go out and get wasted and then get in a fight with your partner you probably your system had another way of coping with the stress but it was a similar kind of reaction and all of us, after we do something that we feel is self-harming, we say, I'll never do that again. You know, how many times, you know, if someone, if someone's in recovery and they have a relapse and they say, I'm never going to do that again, that's not enough. It's really like this, um, a deep inner repair that needs to happen. Like there's being aware of something and then there's the messy process of healing it. And that's where, that's where we really need to get in there with our parts and have this self with a capital S mediate between those parts. And that actually forges new neurocircuitry that, that, is need, that then we do the hard work of reinforcing when we're under a deep trigger again. And it's the same thing as not picking up that cigarette. Of, of just knowing like, okay, I'm in this trigger and this part, and we can start to see this part is activated and that part is activated and doing our best to work the new pattern until the new pattern becomes the norm. But it takes time. It's not automatic and it's more than just a mental process. Right. It's a lot of inner work. Yeah. And so it requires just for us to be really compassionate and patient with ourselves. Definitely. I I actually, uh, when I recognize this pattern in myself of, oh, I can't do what I really want, really want to do until I, oh, but I can't until I, until I. So I actually wrote in lipstick on my mirror, but first, and then I put an X through it. And then in eyeliner, I wrote, and then dot, dot, dot. Because <laughs> unless this is actually an emergency right now, the but first can wait until and then. And that actually, uh, in my case, it allowed me to start beginning to form some habits, some routines that were going to do this reinforcement, this neuroplastic reinforcement of this is the way that I'm going to do things from now on. I could always do it the way I always did, but I'm going to do it this way now. So those but first would get in my way. Sometimes we see people self-sabotaging the self-destructive behavior. Sometimes it's with a I'm not good enough yet 
behavior. Sometimes it's a I have to take care of other people first behavior. There's a lot of different ways that this sabotage can take form. Some are more socially acceptable than others. Um, but just recognizing what your typical go-to sabotage patterns are and maybe rather than, oh, God, I did it again. Why am I so stupid? Why do I blah, blah, blah? No, you can notice the tendency to start to go that direction and go, oh man, I almost did that thing that I always used to do. I'm going to do it this way now. And right. then next time I'll do it the same way again and just start laying down those new pathways so that you can actually change your behavior. And what I have found, and Sarah, tell me if, if you notice this with your clients and yourself also, is that once that ball gets rolling, and you have two or three or four days under your belt, the fifth day is not as hard as the second day, and the twelfth day is not as hard as the fourth day. It does get easier to follow the patterns that you're choosing to set for yourself. Like you said, not immediate, but not as hard as a lot of people think it might be. It does get easier as long as we're not doing it with force. Mm. It's We're only going to make it if we do it with love, uh, which means sometimes we're going to fail. Uh, and just like, you know, when we were little, we were learning how to walk and just to say, sweetheart, we we had a bad day. You know, there were some hard things that happened and it's OK. We're going to just try again tomorrow. I love you. You're doing an awesome job. I see you. I'm here for you. And just building that reinforcement, because when we criticize ourselves, we're just adding fuel to the fire and we're just we're perpetuating the war on ourself, within ourselves. And as women, we are queens of that. We have to make it an inner world of love and acceptance and patience and compassion, or we're never gonna get to where we wanna go. Right, right. Yeah, and in, and in my case, over time, I mean, that was something, that one instance in time that I described a minute ago was something that was like very, very uncommon, right, first of all, but not so uncommon that I didn't know what was coming. And typically now my reinforcement or not, sorry, my, my go-to would be, all right, let's go out for a long run. Let's go set up on the hill and meditate. Let's do something much more positive. But in this one instance, I thought, ah, oh, let's do that instead. And it, you know, was awful. And then I felt awful for the ramifications for the next you know, I beat myself up for days afterwards. You know, Teddy, we, we had a call and have a talk, you know. So, so that is right. I mean, if you do something that's self-sabotaging and then you continue to beat yourself up for that, it's it it's hurtful. I was I would say that it just was reinforcing other things. Unfortunately, I do have support and I do have awareness and I do have a practice behind my behind me for decades now that supports that inner love and that growth and that awareness of, okay, this happened. You can let it go. You can be wiser and not make that choice next time because there's no, there's no reason for it. Right. I'm not saying that it won't ever happen again, but sure. that's exactly what you're saying is like have compassion for that saboteur when it shows up, love it just like you love yourself and let it go. Yeah, and you can even get more upstream with it too. Like, um, like I have an inner party girl, and she like she likes to go out and play sometimes and have a couple drinks or something. And I know that it's going to make me feel not great the next day. 
but it's a negotiation. Like, yeah, this part of me needs some time mm -hmm. in the sun too. And can all can all of my parts get on board that we're gonna do this tonight and that we're gonna not feel so great tomorrow and then I'm not gonna beat myself up tomorrow for doing this and just give give that part permission to express herself. Man, you and I are so much alike. No. <laughs> <laughs> and of course I'm sitting here on the sideline and my little inner child is going, everyone's cooler than me. They like go to these fun parties. And I'm, um, I met this absolutely remarkable man about 15 years ago. I was so impressed. He was a Buddhist monk, which was very surprising. He was about six and a half foot tall, uh, very, very blonde man. Um, surprised me. I thought all Buddhist monks were, I wasn't expecting this guy in Santa Barbara. Anyway, um, he gave this talk about how to meditate, which was a very interesting talk. And at the end, he said, does anybody have any questions about meditation? And every hand shot up and he said, all right, does anybody have a question that isn't? Every time I try to meditate, I find I get really distracted and then I get mad at myself. And so I don't do it anymore. Does anybody have a question that isn't related to that? Every hand goes down. And he said, let me address that. I love what he said. I've shared this with so many people. He said, what I'd like for you to do is to imagine that you are both the grandparent and the grandchild. So the grandfather, the grandson, the grandmother, the granddaughter. You're walking along this beautiful path out in nature and you have a particular destination you're trying to get to, but you're not in a hurry, but you have this particular destination. So as you're strolling down along this path, holding the hand of your lovely little grandchild, they get distracted by this really cute rabbit and they let go of your hand and they go chasing off the path after this rabbit. And the, as the grandparent, you stand there and you watch them. They're so cute. They're so happy. Look how alive and young and vivacious they are. And when they turn back to look at you, you say, oh, sweetheart, that is a very cute bunny. Come on back to the path now. We're going to go. And you gently take their hand and take a few more steps till they get distracted by the perfect climbing tree. Drop your hand. They have to go run, climb this tree right now. And rather than go, you stupid kid, get back here. My God, why do I do anything with you at all? You wait very patiently until the child looks back at you for your the pride on your face. And you say, that's great. Good for you. Look how strong you are. Come back down now. We're going to get back on the path and keep walking and hold their hand and just take a few more steps. You're not trying to prevent your curiosity. You're not trying to limit your creativity. And you might find the way that you sabotage yourself absolutely hilarious that it wouldn't cross your mind to go down that path. But you notice these thoughts crossing your mind and rather than punishing yourself for it you gently bring yourself back to the path and continue the direction that you had been intending to go in the first place i thought that was such a wonderful way to explain yeah. compassion with your saboteur and gentleness in learning a meditative practice yeah love that story beautiful yeah yeah a great resource also is the book called playing big by tara moore and it's specifically for women. I think men can read it too, but it's really women and the blocks that the inner blocks that come our way when we um, want to be up to something big in the world. And there's also a lot of YouTube videos. Like on YouTube, you can you can search IFS inner critic, IFS inner child, and you'll just videos will come up and you know how youtube works like on the side more videos will come mm -hmm. up and that's just a, that's a great way to to, to go deeper and to learn more and there's even some of them have guided meditations to start to lead you into these um getting to know these parts and how they how they work together as a system cool i'm yeah, gonna check that out some more yeah so we've talked a lot about strategies 
how it shows up for people. In our in our closing thoughts here, what are some of the benefits of being able to to move into this higher state of being, you know, and, and really work with all your inner family and, you know, be directed by your higher self with the capital S, Sarah? Inner peace and uh, more energy and vitality. Because when we're not at war at ourselves, a lot of that, that energy that's been suppressed can, can start to just be lifted. There's more of a lightness of being and uh, creativity because again these these voices are suppressing our our intrinsic creativity right it really allows just the best of who we are as human beings to be expressed in the world Teddy, what are your closing thoughts on this subject i love this subject i absolutely love this subject i love that we're covering it um there was a quote that i have been so impressed with and i'm sure both of you know it but i am so impressed with it i actually have a copy of it on my wall nice. um, in my office. And uh, it was attributed to Nelson Mandela for his inaugural speech back in the early 90s, but I believe it was originally Marianne Williamson who wrote this. And she said, for any of the listeners who haven't already memorized it, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are we not to be? I just got chills. <laughs> uh, playing small does not serve the world, and there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around us. We are born to make manifest the glory that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fears, our presence automatically liberates others. My understanding of the saboteur is that is that part of you that helps you play small so that you will be safer or so that you won't make anybody uncomfortable. And what I love about this quote is that in giving ourselves permission to be our, our bright self, our healthy self, our radiant self, our intelligent self, our non-fraudulent authentic self, we give everyone around us permission to do the same and no one needs to feel smaller just because we are amazing. They're amazing too. And this might remind them as we remind ourselves to step out and be ourselves more fully. Yeah, totally. So there's something that's been bothering me throughout this whole discussion that we've had ladies. And this is the concept that we are taught to play small for whatever reason, whatever your authority figure, whatever your, you know, trauma or normal life, media, whatever that external force is, it's teaching us to stay in this little box. And I'm making a little box around my face and heart here. And honestly, that seems so wasteful to me. I've been bothered by that whole thing. Why would we as a society and as caregivers to children and all of this stuff do that? And in many cases, it's not intentional and, and abusive. It's just the way it works, right? And I just had this thought, and it kind of ties back to our very first podcast, that it might be a natural way of teaching us how to pay attention to that higher self and how to work through these things. It's an opportunity more than anything, if we allow it to be, to grow and to, you know, become the best that we can be yeah i mean this is earth school yeah <laughs> and that's what we're here that's that's the earth school curriculum that's right. 
that's the name of the game here on Earth. And with wow. it being Earth school, it's helpful to keep in mind that we are Earthlings and as Earthlings, as human beings on Earth, we're on a planet where there are carnivores. We're on a planet where it wasn't that long ago in our history that there were very, very dangerous threats, sometimes still are. Playing small was a way of being safe. And it's it's actually, I believe, with getting more current with where we are now in our evolution, not just as an individual, but as a society, as we and the our communities continue to evolve, playing small, in fact, doesn't serve the world. It's that recognizing when you are not in a state of fight, flight, freeze, when you don't have to play small because there's not a saber-toothed tiger on the other side of the uh, car in the parking lot. You actually are safe right now, and so you don't have to be guarded and play small all of the time. And being aware that most of the moments in your life, that imminent threat is absolutely non-existent, and so you can step out more. Um, the rabbit who pokes its head out of a hole and looks around to make sure that there's not a predator, and when it realizes there isn't, they hop out and they go lead their bunny lives and they eat from your garden and they make a whole lot of babies and it's not until there's an actual threat. As humans, I think a lot of us have learned uh, culturally to play small to keep ourselves safe and it's just not usually all that necessary. Right, right. Wow, fascinating. We could talk about this for another solid hour, I'm sure, but we are running out of time today. Um, I do invite our listeners to check out all our podcasts, of course, but our first one is on neuroplasticity. And I think go listen to that because it really sets up everything going forward. Um, and especially even in this conversation, we brought it up. So I think it's really good to check that one out. But like I said, we've got lots of podcasts out there. We've got one coming out every other week. We invite you to join us for our meditations. Uh, we have mini meditations that you can access for free. And then of course we have our whole meditation and hypnotherapy library at our subscription site as well. Thank you so much for joining us today on Higher State of Being. Um, grateful for both of you ladies. Again, always Teddy, Sarah, thank you so much for bringing your thoughts and your expertise to the table for us today. Um, Thank you for having me. <laughs> Don't forget, higherstateofbeing.com is where you go for all the information you need. Take care. Thank you for listening to Higher State of Being. We invite you to visit higherstateofbeing.com and become part of our community. Here you will find the guided meditations and resources to help you on your journey. Subscribe and get full access to all downloadable meditations, deeper resources, and much more. Visit higherstateofbeing.com.